Oh, I got a live one here. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. This week, um, we have a special guest host. Um, here's a guest host that doesn't have to audition to be on the book <laughs> podcast, but has basically an open invitation, Sean P. Ferguson. Look at me, bitches. I don't need to audition. Suck on that, nerds. <laughs> there, 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 there it is. Welcome aboard, John. It's good to have you back, as always. It's good to be back in the saddle again. Wait, are you the Rob Olson? Oh, 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 oh. oh, wow. We're not even like 10 seconds into the episode and you're making fun of me for being recognized. Yeah, I have. Well, I had like two bits or three bits of material written down to like open the show. I've got notes, bitches. I came prepared. Wow, nice. And I've already burned through two. <laughs> <laughs> and here comes the third one I'm not just Sean Ferguson And I don't have just an open invitation I am an award winning podcaster Sir And that's three. Oh, alright Yeah well, I guess you did participate in an award winning podcast So I'll Yes, give you that. that's me That's me I'll give you that. Sean that's Ferguson, award winning Makes a whole long list of people that participated in no 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 all right no. never mind just the three of us then yep all right we're gonna all right we'll send you the certificate in the mail then perfect <laughs> perfect hey do we have a book to talk about this week absolutely we do we sure do and what a book what a book well there we have sean's review of the book so. yeah, well it was lovely being on the show gentlemen have a great <laughs> evening <laughs> All right. A while back, uh, not that long ago, we talked to J. David Osborne. And uh, if you listen to that episode, which gets a little crazy um, towards the end there with, with uh, Mr. Osborne, who apparently was very intoxicated during the entire interview, um, we talked about uh, this is one of the books that we talked about, uh, Stephen Graham Jones. All right. So we've had Stephen Graham Jones on um, for when we interviewed people for Warmed and Bound. So he was on with us back in episode 35 where he gave a now legendary like three minute history of zombies and fiction, which is incredible. We also reviewed three of his books on the podcast so far. So in episode 83, we reviewed zombie bake off number one eleven, We did last final girl and number one sixty nine, zombie sharks with metal teeth tonight. We're going to be talking about his book, the least of my scars from broken river books, but here's a little bit about him first born and raised in Texas and Boulder, Colorado. Now 41 Blackfeet into werewolves and slashers and zombies would wear pirate shirts a lot if i could find them and probably carry some kind of sword that's the bio we pulled from amazon thank god for stephen graham jones we have stuff to review and realize yeah. this was number four we <laughs> there will never i'm convinced there will never be a shortage i think the more scary thing is we reviewed another one of his books like seven episodes ago yeah, no kidding. All right, <laughs> this book honestly, has no... honestly, I'm I'm afraid of the time when he eventually, if he can't live forever, um, 
Uh, I'm afraid that they're going to open his estate and they're going to find like another 200 books that haven't even been published yet. <laughs> it's going to be like Prince. Yeah, Prince. No kidding. What? Prince, the musician. He has something like a thousand songs that he's never released. Yeah. Oh. The dude just records stuff that like he never intends to see the light of day. They just like he records it because he wants to and then like stashes it away somewhere and forgets about it. Is this common knowledge? Yes. Yeah, fairly common, I thought. Because I he said just like Prince and you knew exactly <laughs> oh, yeah. what the fuck he was talking about. We don't talk well, about I books when I we're made... off the podcast. We just talk about <laughs> I... Prince. I <laughs> I thought I was the one that made the obscure, uncomfortable references. Love Prince. <laughs> I think we just I think we just changed the intro music to Prince now. That's right. We had something we had something prepared, but now it's gonna be like uh, nineteen ninety nine. No, we've already used that one, so we gotta find something else. Did we really? Yeah. You should like use Raspberry the song. Beret. You should use the song from the '89 Batman soundtrack. Oh, the Bat Dance it's was in the Bat Dance. They're all good. Bat Dance is good, but there's like the Arms of Orion, is is great. It's a great love song. Um, then there's a. Uh, I don't remember. There's a couple more. We'll look into this. <laughs> it's whatever. Uh, it's going to be exactly whatever you heard like a minute ago. Yeah. Pretty much. Hey, so this book has no official synopsis yet. We're actually um, reviewing this uh, an advanced copy of this since it's not available for you to purchase just yet, but it will be very, very shortly. So uh, instead of a synopsis, we're going to go with the quote from Brian Evanson um, on this book. The least of my scars shows how a serial killer's paradise and a serial killer's hell are really the same place. A dark and steady noir which pulls the rug painfully out from under your feet at the end. You want to know my synopsis? This book is batshit crazy. There's a synopsis. Put that on the cover. Boner inducing. I think there's, I think there's time. We could probably get him to do that. My, Let's um, just throw out as many obnoxious things as we possibly can, and maybe one of us will end up on it, as, like blurbing the shit out of it. Well, the one that I think that... I mean, this is the first thought that comes to me, and I know we're going to actually get into the story and explain what it's about and everything, but my first note was that this book is a goddamn revolution in the arena of serial killer stories. Well, that's that's a, that's, that's pretty fair for a blurb. Yeah, there we go. Osborne, hope you're listening. Dexter looks like a little girl. That's exactly what I was saying, dude. Like, yeah! <laughs> yeah! It, makes, it makes Dexter look like a little yeah exactly like a little girl like like knights in rodan all right that's when we get obscure is that is that a prince song uh, it's a nicholas sparks book that was turned into a shitty movie <laughs> starring uh, starring richard Gere and diane lane Boom! <laughs> i know all this Don't craziness there it is there it is all right Sad, sadly no there was no prince songs on the soundtrack Um, We should probably talk a little bit about the book then, huh? Yes, we probably should. So the book um, is told from the uh, viewpoint of a serial killer named William Colton Hughes. No spoiler there. I think that's like page one stuff. Um, He's a kind of, I don't even know what to say. Here's the whole thing. I really like the guy. So you say it's like a serial killer like Dexter, like you like Dexter, but Dexter was kind of boring and bland. This is like a really likable guy who uh, happens to have landed himself a job killing people. Yeah, this entire concept is just from 
if you ask me, it's just brilliant. So uh, the book starts out um, with he's explaining the situation he's in, which is essentially um, he works for like a mob boss kind of person. And um, he basically lives in an apartment. And the mob boss sends people to the apartment who he then kills. So he basically has like a just like a feeder line of, of victims going to his apartment. And I thought that was just brilliant. Mm-hmm. So the, the kind of introduction through this is through his first victim, who's uh, mentioned throughout the course of the book, uh, is named Kid Hoodie, is what uh, a good old Billy Colton Hughes named him. Um, and exactly what Rob said happens. This guy shows up, knocks on the door, serial killer invites him in, they sit down, um, they're playing... What, what game was it? Was game it Trouble? Trouble, yeah. Trouble. Yep. And then Hughes just smashes the kid's head in and kills him. So that that's how we find out, you know, and this is all chapter one stuff, but that's how we are introduced to this uh, this genius plot point of a serial killer who has people sent to him. So, yeah, that's the basic setup. Um, the... I guess if you want to call it the conflict or, or what drives the story forward is um so essentially because he just has these victims show up at his house the nice thing in the beginning too is that you get to see his his routine so after he kills this person he goes through like a four page description of like how he takes the body apart and how he gets rid you know like you know basically reduces it to like this sort of liquid form that he then has someone like the mob boss has people that come like almost like servants that show up and do different tasks and one of them just shows up and picks up barrels full of like victim um so you get that at the beginning but um i guess to say like what they with uh this kid hoodie person whose last name i think it was like jason Pease or something like that mm-hmm. right or something yep. like that yes. yeah with him being a victim it turns out that um that kind of causes some other things to happen that I don't know if it necessarily throws him off of his routine, but um, it gets more attention and and kind of throws, yeah, I guess it throws his routine off and he's doing things he usually wouldn't and then there's more risk of him being caught and stuff like that. So that's this this is kind of the part that starts to shift things in a new direction. And through the course of the rest of the book, we get uh, we get some backstory on how he ended up in um, in this uh, particular, I don't know, <laughs> with this particular form of employment, I guess. And, and you know, and there's hints and stuff at his past. So we get to learn a little more about him as he kind of, I don't know. It's kind of, kind of like what you said, Rob, I think that this kind of throws him off his game a little bit and maybe makes him a little nuttier than he was. But I get the feeling he was actually fairly well put together up until that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though he's obviously crazy as he's a serial yeah. killer and, and he has relationships with different <laughs> with different objects and different rooms and stuff <laughs> to become evident throughout the course of the book. But yeah, I mean, so we kind of see this little descent into further madness um, while we're getting some of his backstory revealed. But in a way, I think it's almost like he um, he got comfortable because, the, I mean, the idea that you have someone sending victims to you, the whole like the whole anxiety of being a serial killer and the, the risk and everything is, is like centered around the fact that you have to like go find victims and like the process of, of finding the people without being caught is, is, is what makes life so difficult so that that being removed 
made him, you know, probably a little more comfortable and a little less on his guard about things. So um, it could be a combination of like he gets a little crazier, but also just like he's off his game because life's been so easy for about two years that he's been doing this. Like a domesticated animal. Ooh, that's a really good comparison. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Last time it was foil. Today, domesticated animal. Boom. That's right. Foil was good. I remember that. Foil was amazing. It was one for the books. Yes, the booked. <laughs> All right. Thing about this story is we really can't talk about too much of what happens without spoiling it. So I think we should just really talk about some of the elements of the story. Maybe some of the overall like things that he achieved with his book. A um, couple of the characters. We mentioned Hughes. He's the main character. He's the serial killer guy. We mentioned Kid Hoodie, who's the first victim that we are introduced to, who after <laughs> after his death kind of carries on throughout the rest of the book as, um, you know, what would you say, kind of almost like, like a crazy dude's entertainment, like a house guest almost who, yeah. Is not yeah, really there. He's, he's kind of like, um, and we've read this in a few books where the, the pet, so like in, in Jason Donnelly's gripped the cat. Yeah. It, it's almost like someone for him to, to, to bounce ideas off of or to judge him while he's actually kind of judging himself. So kind of kid hoodie kind of takes that role, which is just awesome. I personally kind of like the, um, the wet dry vac. The wet dry vac was so yeah, cool. It kind of like his little own R two D two makeshift <laughs> thing. Uh, it was awesome. So to explain, because this comes up fairly early in the story, and, and the wet dry vac is uh, so there's not a lot of characters. I mean, there's kind of some people that come and go, but there's probably only three or four real main characters. Only a couple well, of which are actual humans. And and that's because the whole thing takes place. It's like a hundred and ninety some pages long, and the whole thing, with the exception of the elements of the backstory, takes place in an apartment. Like I would love to try and do like a stage play of this, because yeah, there isn't a whole lot of like scenery to like move around and shit. So because it's like one apartment, so I would you're love lazy, to try to. That's what you're saying. What. <laughs> Because you're lazy, there's not a lot of stuff to move around. I can handle this. <laughs> no, Why are you being such a dick? No, because it would like I think it would translate well to the stage. Wow, <laughs> we're really seeing the best in everybody tonight. Wow, um, back to the wet dry vac. Let's not. Jesus, what was that bit about loyalty before we got started? <laughs> God. <sighs> Who's replacing him, by the way? I don't know. We have some stiff competition so far. Um, we do. We do. We do. We'll find out. But anyway, the wet dry back, because it's such a wonderful part of the story. Um, it, yeah, like like you guys were saying, it takes place in this dude's apartment. And um, the wet dry back is obviously used at some points for his cleanup, I think, process. Mm-hmm. But most of the time is spent as almost like an internal, um, like nemesis, almost like he's he's always nervous that the wet dry vac is is after, out to get him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like he'll he'll think he hears some movement, and then when he looks, the wet dry vac doesn't look like it was in the same place, like that kind of thing. So, um, 
he definitely anthropomorphizes the this vacuum cleaner and it's like a really creepy like uh it's like a threat <laughs> within his house but almost like a fun one like it's not it's not like he's terrified of this thing he just he's just suspicious of it well and he carries on a relationship with it which the wet dry vac is probably the first real solid indication that you get that he's nuts his kind of his thoughts on it up until then, you know, he has some some quirks and, you know, he, he's got to touch things a certain amount of times or whatever. He's almost kind of like monk. Um, but yeah, yeah aside the, from the whole serial killer thing, let's. Well, that's, that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's that happens. So. <laughs> um, happen. but, yeah, but the wet dry vac. Yeah, he actually has the, the cord is like stapled to the wall so it can't like go too far. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> it's just fantastic stuff. I like the. um is it too spoilery to say a thing about the arms? No, no, really. no, yeah. I, no, I don't think so. Because at one point, um, in his in in doing something, he decides he for whatever reason, and I don't really think that there's I can give a good explanation because I don't think there was one. He takes the hose off the wet dry vac and cuts it, uh, and uses it almost like um, like arm cover, like he covers his, he puts them on his arms, almost like like armor in a way. Um, as he's doing this one thing, so, and it happens multiple times throughout the book where, like, in certain situations, he's got to put on the hoses from the wet dry vac. It's, uh, it's so good. And he apologizes to the wet yeah. dry vac each time, which is just, just brilliant. Yeah. Other characters? Singer? Um, yeah. Singer is the, uh, he is the mob boss who, um, although plays a very central role in, in our, our protagonist, um, talks about him a lot. He, he makes just very brief appearances. And other than being very central to the story, isn't really a, an integral part of the story, if that makes any sense. Like he's the reason that that we're able to read this story, but he's not like a like a really big character throughout the course of it. Yep. Which which I kind of think is good because even though he's like the catalyst for the story and whatever he he and the people that work for him, they all kind of seem like almost weak. At least in comparison to the protagonist, mm -hmm. in my opinion, they all like, and maybe that's the whole, he's crazy and this is what he does, but at the very same, and, and they can't bring themselves to do it. But at the same time for like hardened criminals or whatever, they all seem like pussies. <laughs> well, I mean, he's like a wild animal that's in a cage almost mm -hmm. like they use him because of like the ferocious things he can do. But, and, and they have him, they're in control of him, but in a way where they keep as far of a distance as possible, definitely. Um, yeah. Other characters, Dashboard Mary. Um, she becomes a very important character because although it's Kid Hoodie that, that, that uh, kicks off the story and kind of sends things askew, it's really um, this woman, Mary, that's the, the real catalyst, I think, for, for what happens in our protagonist's um, in this couple of month period that we're seeing him in. So uh, not a whole lot to say about her. That's something you'll just have to kind of discover on your own. Except she has quite possibly the greatest name ever. Dashboard Mary. Dashboard Mary. <laughs> Fucking great name. Um, That's really, I mean, that's it for character. I mean, except for, I, I guess, a passing mention of the people that um, are in, employed by Singer who do stuff within the the realm of, of our protagonist, the serial killer. Uh, he calls them ghosts. So there's the vegetable ghost who delivers his food. 
And then there's the, um, what's the other one called? Uh, I don't remember. There's like, so everybody who has a task, he would name them like their ghost, like this ghost, that ghost, because they just kind of, they show up and do their thing and leave. And he doesn't always necessarily like interact with them or, or have direct contact with them. So, um, in his own crazy way, they're ghosts. There's probably deeper meaning that I'm just not going to have a good, you know, good time of being able to explain properly. Which I also think kind of fit too with the whole <clears throat> him feeling haunted, and and especially that was like part of the reason why he wasn't sleeping a whole lot because because he he felt haunted and things he thought were moving around on him and whatever. I I, I thought that vegetable ghost and and the fact that ghost was in their name kind of helped right. add to his psychosis. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So story-wise, um, yeah, I think we've pretty much covered as much as we can. It's so tough because um, some of the best books we reviewed, it's really, really hard to get too far into the story without giving away, you know, I mean, this 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 book is only 190 pages. Um, yeah. You know, a lot happens, but the, the more we talk about, the, the more we... we you know, giveaway. I will say that his, um, uh, Col- or Williams, um, just his, his methods of, of doing things though are absolutely fantastic. Cause it's very, very gross, very descriptive, <laughs> but he is really, God, at this point, I'm pretty sure he's my favorite serial killer. And really dude, if you, if, if we told you that there's a serial killer that gets victims delivered to him, and he has a working, a living relationship with a wet dry vac, and you're not into the book. I mean, what really more do you want from us? <laughs> just stop listening now. Yeah, just cut it off because no, stick around for the quotes because you will hate yourself if you don't. <laughs> yeah, very true. Anything else you guys want to say about the story? Or can we say the- one more time how fucking amazing it is? We can do that probably in our wrap ups. I would think. Um, awesome. I just want to, I think I want to touch on, we've said it a little bit, but this character, the protagonist, um, Jones does an incredible job of making him a very sympathetic character, like Livia said a little bit, like, you like the dude, but at the same time, he's very unapologetic about the fact that he kills people, he tortures people, he plays with them, he doesn't care, you know. He doesn't care about their their feelings or what they're going through, or their families, or any of that. He just he is just a cold-hearted monster. But you like the dude, like you can't help but like his little idiosyncrasies and and you know his thought processes and even like the cute things he does where he has like a relationship with a vacuum cleaner. It, it's all so charming, despite the fact that it's so horrible and like astonishingly brutal and terrible. I think it almost has to be because let's and I realize this is hard to do, but let's take this a step back and say, okay, he's just a serial killer that has these kind of weird quirks, but you don't like him. Is it then still as good of a book? I I think no. Well, no, absolutely. But I don't know if everybody could have made this character like the dude that he is. Mm -hmm. For sure. And and I know know, some of our listeners may may have heard – Stephen Graham Jones here on on this podcast, or, or maybe an interview, or whatever else. But did did you did you two read that whole thing in Stephen Graham Jones' voice? How can no, you not? I didn't actually. 
Well, see, I did. I, I did in parts, I guess I should say, because there would be entire chapters where I could hear Stephen Graham Jones talking. Um, I actually, like, I, I hear, I hear him in everything that he writes. Really? Like, yes. It's kind of cool. It's probably creeping him out if he's listening to this. He wrote it. Yeah, that's true. All right, you guys, uh, you boys, ready to do some quotes? <laughs> I think we must. Sean, did you bring some quotes to the table? I did. Why don't we uh, let's be let's be gentlemen and let Sean go first. Absolutely. Why start now? Ouch, man. Hey, I was just accused of being lazy earlier. That's true. Not by me. I'm still. I'm I'm not even sure you denied it though. I I think you accosted (laughs) me for saying it, but I don't think you actually defended yourself. I I can't. I can't. I told you. I spent most of the day watching the first season of Shameless today. It's true. I did that. In my defense, Emmy Rossum is hot. There's a lot of nudity in that show from what I've seen. There's a lot. Did I just mention Emmy Rossum's in it? Anyway, uh, across the way, there's televisions flickering through the windows. There's uh, dinners getting reheated. There's women curled around a secret they'll never tell. And there's men staring at a little place on the wall like it maybe just spoke to them that's on page seven and eight and i like it because it captures like every friday night that i don't spend at work like he's watching me (laughs) nice he's drawing inspiration from you yes (laughs) Viv. um yeah so rob has like a hundred i can't even get through reading all of them to see if they match mine so if there's some overlap rob i apologize in advance um, he's uh, talking about a room in, in his in his apartment. Back when, this room was supposed to be where all the action went down. I mean, I soundproofed it, made all the walls too thick to kick through, even beefed the floor and the ceiling up, and fitted a drain and exhaust fan, and fixed guards all over, <clears throat> and fixed guards over all the outlets, and drilled five spy holes. All the things you pray for when you're young, they don't turn out to be exactly what you really wanted after all. That's good. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I'll just kick off with my first one here. Don't let anybody ever tell you life's fair, not as long as I'm in it. That was very nice. And since that's short, I'm just going to roll right into my next one, which I just like the whole uh, kind of thing at the end of it. Guys like me, they don't get retired, not so long as they're producing, reducing, really. If they do retire ever, then it's just that they woke up one day the same way a butterfly must, with no clue it was ever a caterpillar. I like the the first one that you read more because there's like there there were a number of them throughout the book um, that kind of made him sound like a badass. Like there was a couple like one liners where I kind of like looked up and was like, that could have been like the I put my sunglasses on and then you hear fucking the Who screaming <laughs> or whatever. Like it was it was awesome. So there's a, there's a bunch play. of those. Yes, in David, my stage play. David Caruso is playing William Colton Hughes. Yes, and I'm getting the rights for the Who. All right. For, for that song, it's going to be awesome because I'm lazy. It's <laughs> all full circle. This this yeah. reference, I, I didn't get this one. I got the Prince one, and I got the Knights in Rodan, but this one I, I didn't. Uh, David Caruso? Yeah. CSI. CSI Miami, I, he... he 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 says like the the cheesy one liner and puts the glasses on and then like it cues the music at the beginning of the show like that kind of thing. Oh, gotcha. I've never yeah. seen. It. Wow. Honestly, I haven't seen but a few minutes of this show. Like any show where the title is nothing but letters, I 
don't watch it. So I've seen <laughs> but a few minutes and and I'm pretty certain like every episode opens that way. I, I don't know how to break it to you, Sean, but every show's title is nothing but letters. <laughs> Shut up. I mean like <laughs> SVU and NCIS and <laughs> I mean, there might be some punctuation. Oh, loyalty. Sean, do you have another quote? I Yeah, I have a number, but I'm not <laughs> entirely certain that I want to continue. Um, are you holding auditions for one spot or two? Oh, wow. Yeah. On the way to the door, I'm sure to touch five things, each above waist level for luck. The reason they have to be above waist level is that makes me bend my arm a bit, expend the effort, just dragging the pad of your finger over whatever is in your way is asking for disaster. Also from page eight, and I like it because it's the little idiosyncratic actions and all the little bits of reasoning inside one another. The logic makes me feel a little less alone, um, which you know is awesome to have in common with a sociopath or whatever this dude is turning into as you progress further into the first chapter and beyond (laughs) Um, this one doesn't I don't think it requires any setup so what this one lady had in particular it was this long black hair down to her ass long I mean like she was filled with oil and it was spilling out the back of her head yep that's goddamn awesome yep all right here's one for me some amount of time later, this is the vac. This is this brings the wet dry vac into it a little bit. Some amount of time later, I don't know. I'm in the kitchen because I have to because it's come to this. I'm wearing the cut in half wet dry vac tubes on my arms like sleeves, a shoestring running behind my neck to keep them on. It turns me into a robot, and robots aren't pussies. Don't have to think what they don't want to think. There's one of your badass lines, Sean. Yes. Robots aren't pussies. I'm getting that on a shirt. Robots are not pussies. <laughs> I got, I'm going to do another quick one just because I love this one. So okay. Send, so send that cute little Girl Scout back if you want. Sure. I never did earn my dissection patch. Yeah! <laughs> 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 Livius is he's off the call now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I also have a... a I think a, before you go on, I think we found the... The song that's ending the episode. <laughs> I, um, yeah, see, the one time, the one time I actually send Rob some music ahead of time and I go, here's what we're going to use for this episode. By the time we're done, we'll have four other songs to use <laughs> instead. Here she was, blood crusted on one side of her face already, one of her breasts cut into, in a, damn it. <clears throat> Here she was, we blood crusted. Me. Yeah, I did. Fucker. <laughs> Here she was. <laughs> Blood crusted on one side of her face already. One of her breasts cut into in a way she probably never planned. Who knows, though, right? (laughs) It's nuts. Sean. Gripping my shoulder for emphasis, the way people at church will squeeze your hand a bit harder at the amen part of the prayer. Like, it needs that to stick. Like, they really meant it. What the preacher just recited into his clip-on mic. Which I've had more time, like, I've had that happen to me more times than I care to remember. Preachers wear microphones? Yeah, uh, yeah. if you're in a big enough church. Yeah, um, for sure. 
I, I was talking about that whole hand squeezing the at the. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I know. I was just being. I'm sorry. I was being. I was being stupid. About also it. being mean to me. No, yeah, no, no, I get no, it. I, just, no, I was dude. brought on to be the punching bag. That's fine. I'm used well, to it. Now you are because you're making such a big deal out of it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Here's some grotesque stuff because we really haven't gotten too too gr- gory, have we? No. Um, no. I'm not going to do any setup. I'll just read you the quote: "The brain plops and gulps out of the bottom of the straw." Twelve years of math and science and English and cheerleader fantasies drip dripping away. Now, this is something that since like we've started doing the podcast, I've noticed a lot is that when something happens to someone's brains, specifically when they leave their body. I've noticed, and I really enjoy this, when an author will like attribute specific memories or thoughts or abilities to that part of brain that's leaving their head. I really love that for some reason. Interesting. Yeah, I did really like that line, though. Keaton does that. David James Keaton does that once or twice, and in, in, uh, I know he's done it at least twice in like two different stories that we've we've either had on the podcast or we've read for the podcast. There you go. Boom. I'm going to have to paraphrase the beginning of this um, paragraph just um, probably very poorly um, just to not reveal too much. Uh, He's killing somebody. (laughs) There's my paraphrasing. (laughs) It's nothing personal. It's like I it's nothing personal. It's like I heard a guy on television explain masturbation once. It's mowing the lawn pretty much. Not what you really want to do. And your shoes are green and nasty afterwards. But still, here you are. Somebody had to do it, right? Yep. Did it, Sean? And the pictures on my kitchen floor, I was supposed to have already seen them. And two days ago, who knows, they might have got to me in some way. Now, though, they're nothing like throwing lit matches into a house fire. That's a good I just, one. yeah, I just really like the, like that image of throwing the lit matches. Like it's a desperate attempt to make a statement in some unflinching vacuum. Yep, absolutely. He's got some really like deep, like there's some deep stuff, there's some creepy stuff, there's some funny stuff. I'm gonna go back a little bit to funny. Um, kind of funny. It wasn't murder what I did to him. It was self-defense and way too fast for someone like him. And to think I ate cereal with him, trusted him to watch for robot arms in the hall while I slept, sure that the place was safe for the night. I should have killed him twice, three times, fifty. I'm going to go with one last one, and this one is, uh, this one's just, it's, it's the shortest of my quotes. Um, the setup is somebody has pissed him off at some point, and uh, I, I think this is great partially because my brain works this way sometimes. Um, he, I don't know the best way to do this. So um, I'm going to kill those two, anybody with black slacks, really. Yep. He's so mad at these two guys who are both wearing black slacks that he's just willing to kill anybody who's wearing black slacks. I understand that. I totally get that. (laughs) Oh, that's good stuff. I want to do one more. One more. Trick is, though, and, and they won't know this is, of course, is what I'm really doing with the knives and probes and toys. I'm doing it to somebody else or to a dog even. Anything with blood so that when I pull the kidney out of its sack, they think it's their kidney. Will they still be able to pee then or will their brain click over into some other mode? I've got interests, see? That was the whole scene. 
is just amazing. Yes, I yeah, it's deranged and deliciously clever at the same time. Like the the entire chapter is the plot to absolve himself <laughs> of his dry season. I love it. It's amazing. Yeah, and and you know like how authentic. I mean, at least to someone who's not a, an insane serial killer, that sounds is like you know that they go into all these like crazy details with their plans and stuff that you know make total sense to them, but they're just like, so messed up and dark and weird. Wait. All of it made total sense to me. Oh, well, we all, we know you're a sociopath. All right, I'm going to throw two back-to-back here just because I can't let either of these not go on. He flings the Thin Mints box across the room. The cookies scatter, probably make the air over there taste good for a few breaths. I like that kind of... Uh, that's the kind of thought I have. That's the kind of that's the thing I can identify with. Like, someone does something so mundane, and for some reason I'm imagining how it's affecting the world. With cookies and Thin Mints? Always with cookies and Thin Mints. All right, here's my last one. This, <laughs> Livius and I were talking about this before we recorded. Um, this, there's no setup. There can't be setup for this. Uh, well, okay, here's the setup. He swallowed a marble. At least the marble finally passes, a little tink against the porcelain. Like I've been eating teeth again. I don't save it, just let it swirl away. Like I've been eating teeth again. <sighs> Those, yeah. I'm I'm all out of quotes, and, and here's the reason: I have entire pages just screenshotted. <laughs> um, the 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 whole goddamn. There's a flashback scene that takes place in like a storage unit. Yep. Brilliant, goddamn, fantastic. I, I could read that whole thing. Um, there's just so much, uh, it's, it's unbelievable. And the thing that Jones really captures here, and I don't know if we really, I know Rob and I talked about this over lunch, but, um, he does crazy so goddamn well. Like it's not overplayed. It doesn't seem forced. It's, it's very legitimately a believable crazy guy, which is the same thing we said about the book, the drowning girl, um, how well that was portrayed for at least not being crazy, thinking that might be what it's like to be crazy. Mm-hmm. Like the flashes of sometimes he knows that some of the stuff he does is a little off, but he's not at all disturbed by it. But he knows it's a little weird that he's that he's afraid of the the wet dry vac. Like he knows that and he addresses it, but it doesn't stop him from being terrified of it. You know, I mean, Jones really, really delivered crazy in a in a big, big, great way. Yeah, I think that's a. Do you, I guess we should probably just do wrap ups because that was probably a third of your wrap up, Livius. That was probably a third of my wrap-up. Would you like me to just continue on then? Yeah, yeah. let it roll. So uh, it's it's not new to have a, a serial killer protagonist, and, and Jones himself kind of um, gives credit to some some different um, writers over the years that that have you know as he's kind of made this book, um, made him able to write this book that kind of paved the way for him. But God damn it, I've never read a serial killer I've liked more than this guy. So uh, easily the most enjoyable book um, I've read from the standpoint of a serial killer. You know what? I watched Dexter. Yeah, Dexter was good, but Dexter was pretty boring himself a lot of time. It was very um, story-driven, not personality-driven. Um, here we have a serial killer that I, I just want to give the guy a hug because I, I, it's just, just how I feel about him. So um, a, a great, great story. Um great characters uh, both uh, living and non-living and he kind of unveils it uh, there's just so much i can't say he, he unveils the story uh, just in a brilliant brilliant way um with a total payoff 
Evanson said that uh, uh, you know pulls the rug painfully out from under your feet at the end. That's kind of how I felt about it. I mean, I just can't find one thing wrong with this book, except in the mark of all great books that it just wasn't longer. I wanted to spend a little more time with uh, with William Colton Hughes. So uh, five stars, easy. The only you know I thought about this earlier today. There's only two books I want to reread from the entirety of all the books we've read in this podcast, and this is this is one of them. Can I guess the other one? You can. Wolf Gift. <laughs> Would anybody else like to take a guess? <laughs> Damn. Um, <laughs> Sean's just going to name all the books he helped us review. Mm-hmm. Um, Swallowing go with- a donkey's eye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go Strangeness in the Proportion. That is correct, yes. Boom. There it is. Boom. There it is. Sean, would you like to go next? Sure. <clears throat> uh, with Dr. Jones's work, at least from what I've read, it's hard to pick a solid favorite. Uh, everything that I've read of his thus far has varied. Sure, it has its Steve, Stephen Graham Jones voice in that far-off, distant, echo sort of way. But All of the Beautiful Sinners is not Zombie Bake Off. And just like this book is not the long trial of Nolan Dugatti. So as far as I'm concerned, anyway, I can't tell you that this would have been my favorite Jones, but it, alternately, I can't say that it isn't my favorite either. I will say that it's uh, not at all surprising that um, Osborne jumped on this and made it part of his initial launch with Broken River. Uh, it has that Hunter S. Thompson-styled paranoia that runs through the middle, especially um, like it does in Osborne's Before We Leave Here, We'll Be Friends. And that's where the least of my scars sort of lost me a little bit, uh, especially with Steven Staccato and his well-maybes and perhapses and the not-reallys. Sometimes that gets really hard to follow, especially when you're trying to read it at work when you're really busy and not trying to be lazy. The upside to that is uh, that the pacing holds true, and um, Jones takes really great care to make this monster of a protagonist as human as possible with his tics and habits and fears and that constant struggle with supply and demand for his desires. Um, Digging in and continuing on was easy, and once the final ramp-up of of the conflict uh, and the tension started when he heard those footsteps through his ceiling, he kind of snapped out of the delirium a little bit, I thought, and regained his focus again, which was great because the final twist to the story, although I kind of figured them out before they happened, they're kind of what needed to happen, I thought. Um, And they were earned, which was really enjoyable, I thought. And um, so... I was going to say four and a half, but then I read his acknowledgments, and um, at least in the copy that I have, Brett Easton Ellis' name is spelled incorrectly, and that made me feel good deep inside. <laughs> uh, so I'm going with five stars, hands down, easy. Um, I was giving it five anyway. I just wanted to like throw in a jab to Brett Easton Ellis. Oh, poor poor J. David Osborne is like on the phone with Lightning Source right now, going that last page that I just just Fuck. just change one letter. Yeah. There's an extra T. All right. Before did you I... read, I'm sorry. Did you read the acknowledgments? Yes. I, I really I really liked the part in there about his wife. I thought that was yeah. nice. Yeah, he did that too. With um, what's the other? Uh, I think with um. What what's the one we read earlier this year? The 
um, zombie shark teeth. No, no, no. Maybe it was. It was one of them, but like it was just the most touching and heartwarming thing he'd say. He said about his wife in the acknowledgments at the end of the book. It was just like insane. So yeah, yeah. Dude, been, he has he, to. Uh, she has to live with that guy. <laughs> yeah, it might have been the, was last, it the last girl. Opera? Yeah. Um, before before I do my my wrap up and give my rating, I just want to say that um, what you guys just heard before we started just kind of rambling again was the potential of what Sean Ferguson can sound like when Livius and I shut up. Because <laughs> it was very, it was it was like a whole different Sean. Like we were like, we step back, we give you the mic, and then boom, boom, foil, <laughs> foil, <over> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I'm just going to start out by saying this is a five-star book. I was talking about it online somewhere with uh, some people, and I, I said it's a masterpiece. And I, I've never said that about a book before. This book is just so – it's obvious how much thought uh, went into creating this story. And, um, I, I mean, Sean said everything that I want to say way better than I would. So it's just an incredible book. It's far more deep far more disturbing than I ever expected it to be. And, um, I mean, I mean, this is what everybody should strive to do. Like anybody can write a book. Jones literally made a masterpiece. I just, I, it's easily no question. It's a five-star book. Well, it's good to know that we're all in a accordance on this. You know, I used to get phone calls, uh, pretty regularly from, um, more important people than myself in in the publishing world uh for instance uh there was a, a publisher who would call me regularly just to talk and whatever and see what i was reading and see what i was interested in and they'd send me all kinds of shit um he called me once during my honeymoon and i spent like an hour talking to him on the phone on my on my honeymoon anyway um one of the other people uh was part of the process of uh, putting demon theory together. And um, they were talking about how pissed they were with the, I think it's the, one of the editions of the, the uh, paperback version of demon theory, all of the footnotes got shipped to the back of the book rather than being on the page. Mm. Oh, and and he went on and on and on and talked about how angry he was that that had had that had happened. Um, but the point he drove home, I remember distinctly, um, was that he wished that that book had been printed by a different company because that should have been the book that put Stephen Graham Jones in every household like the way Stephen King is mm -hmm. I guess was the point that he was trying to make and um, I've read Demon Theory I enjoyed Demon Theory I liked All the Beautiful Sinners a lot more but if you're going to point at a book out of the ones that I've read at, read at the very least it's got to be this one this is that book yeah. I think yeah well, now I don't have to read all those other Stephen Graham Jones books. <laughs> Thanks, Ferg. Hey, you're welcome. I do what I can. <laughs> it's all about brevity, right? That's right. So this was just the 
first um, of a few reviews we're going to be doing with Broken River Books. Um, we've signed on some co-hosts um, to uh, to help us review these books. And uh, can we can we announce um, one of the co-hosts of right now? I, I suppose we we almost have to. So. Um, <laughs> Um, there have been many educated guesses at who our first audition um, tape was. And uh, we weren't trying to be secretive. We just, it's one of those things like we got it and we were like, man, we didn't even ask this guy if he wants his name on the air. He didn't use his own name in the thing. So um, let's be uh, honest, we didn't know how to pronounce his name. This is true, but now we do. No, we don't. We're still <laughs> we going to guess at it. But um, it's Gordon Highland. It's very <laughs> yeah. easy to pronounce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's not Gordon Highland. Pronounce it the way that it looks. It's not. I know. I I, I could have sworn it was him, though. But, but I, this, I believe you when you say that it's not. This gentleman went on to send us a second audition tape <laughs> that we just received today. So we're he already does, planning on making this announcement. He does know that it's not a paying gig, right? It is. I don't know if he knows that or not, but he's going to find wait, out. Wait, it's not a paying gig, right? That's of that's course right. Not, yeah, of course not. <laughs> or we would have been sending you big fat checks all along, buddy. Yeah, that's what I thought. So yeah, so while while Rob and I were dining in a in a thousand dollar lunch restaurant with all the big podcast money we make, uh, <laughs> we received a second audition tape. Wait, Red Rob, um, which, which you're going to hear in just um, in just a couple moments. But uh, and you know what, I, I believe it too because. Uh, that burger that I had with with Rob with the the egg and the cheese inside, goddamn, that was delicious. <laughs> that was very good. I remember that. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm um, gonna do a quick short bio here. If you guys are done talking about lunch, you guys, I mean, you guys are <laughs> on Instagram, right? Like you guys got you can see these pictures of these burgers. Well, Just read know. the bio. <laughs> <clears throat> a Adam Otten lives in denial, where he pretends to be a leaky red fire hydrant when he would rather be writing he spends his free time freely and timely he also likes to play author bio mad libs he lives with a long-suffering borat joke and two homegrown potato children who never get to see him despite their overabundance of eyes he has also stalked the booked podcast for god probably 150 episodes to come up with some of the stuff that he came up with so um uh, Mr. Otten will likely be joining us. Details uh, to follow um, on a future episode of Booked. Um, but for right now, here's a uh, here's a little bit. Uh, what what was this one called, Rob? Horrified. Horrified with Adam Otten. Welcome to Horrified, where one god shares a chapter from the horror book it is reading. I am Azathoth, Lord of all things. This week, I am starting a new book, the Booked. Anthology. How about a plot synopsis? Described by Washington Irving. Or perhaps it was Irving Washington, I can never tell the two apart. As a mix of haunted misery and one through eight four, with a touch of the flu, the book anthology is torture porn at its finest. Wherein two marginally successful broadcasters abduct and imprison a group of writers. Now, before we get to the reading, my sweetly squishy mortal listeners, I have good news, and I have bad news. The bad news is I am simply not in reading form this week, as I seem to have a tentacle caught in my throat. The good news is, I have enlisted the help of an old friend. So ladies and gentlemen, boils and ghouls, Mr. Vincent Price. 
booked anthology chapter one pound of flesh the vines choked at his dream those slender green threads rushing toward each other twisting lacing locking knotting into an overgrown garden of ivy suddenly a firefly wake up fred Fred Venturini shook the vines from his eyes to see Livius Nedden standing over him. A lit Marlboro light bridged their distance. Fred gagged at the smoke. Livius edged the cigarette closer. It's time to write. Fuck you, Livius. The words escaped as a croak. Fred swallowed at the gravel in his throat, only to feel jagged rocks kick up in the back of his skull. A wound from where he had been hit. Someone had hit him. Now Fred, Livius crouched. You don't want to play this game with me. The cigarette cherry burned red light into Fred's nostrils. Fred struggled to escape the smell of mesquite, of forest fires, of his own staked sacrifice. But his binding chains kept him stuck to the dungeon floor. The rocks in his head rattled harder. Livius scoffed and rose. Come on, Fred. I don't think you're fully grasping the opportunity we've awarded you here. We're giving you the opening chapter of the booked anthology. You're getting in on the ground floor of a revolution. Livius, ever the grandstander. Fred had come to the booked studio for an interview, but it had played out more like a recruitment pitch. The booked anthology, a hollowed collection of stories from cult genre authors that would serve to unite the oral world with the printed word. As Livius and his co-host Rob Olson's fevered pitch had grown more frenzied, the quicker Fred backed away until... You can write whatever you want, of course. A woman's voice approached from out of the darkness. Could we think Pound of Flesh might be an appropriate title? Livius and Rob had been in front of him the entire time, meaning the only one who could have struck him, the only other person in the studio. Pelavia grabbed Fred's cheek, pushed a blade against the opposite. Considering if you don't give us our story... That's exactly what we'll take from you. Oh, God, Pella. Fred spoke through a hell jaw. Not you. Don't tell me they got to you. Got to me, Pella laughed. Whose idea do you think this was? Fred's eyes softened. Pella clutched harder. Oh, you men, always reducing us to faithful wives and imperiled daughters, never believing for a second that we could plot, plan, and scheme without big swinging dicks to back us up. On second thought, Livius, Fred could feel his flesh about to give way as the blade pressed deeper. Perhaps Clevenger would be the stronger opener after all. Fred broke, fine, fine, the words pushing through his pursed lips at a pained whisper. I'll do it. I'll do whatever you want. Paler released his face. Good boy. She patted Fred's head much too hard, sending the rock swirling. She turned to the darkness. Bring forth the typewriter. A horrible clanking preceded the visage of a run-down man, wild-haired, bearded, and skinny, covered in dirt rags and chains. Something in the man's eyes seemed familiar to Fred. A shy darkness. Fred thought he might know this man. He looked to Livius for confirmation, but Livius just popped his eyebrows and smiled. He took a final drag of the cigarette and flicked it away, then gave his arm to Pela as she led him to the stairs. The disheveled man came down to the floor before Fred in a heap. The typewriter fastened to his wrist sliding down into his bony lap. 
But all Fred could focus on was that familiar darkness. I'm sure you know him, Fred. Paler called back from the stairs as if reading his mind. Say hello, Chris. The man's mangled mouth burst open as for inspection, revealing rotten teeth and torn gums, but no tongue. The door at the top of the stairs slammed shut to the sound of Fred Venturini sobbing. He did know the man before him. It was Will Christopher Bear. Okay, um, I don't know really what to say about that audition, except for maybe, like, I, I mean, I know how much time Livius and I put into an hour-long episode, and I know he put more time and thought into that, whatever it ended up being, five to ten minutes that we just listened to. <laughs> yeah, the the production quality is definitely, but it's just goddamn funny. I, I know the hard, the beginning was hard, at least for me to understand. I did listen to this in my car earlier, but, um... Yeah, I guess uh, Fred Venturini probably needs a restraining order now. There may have been another mention of Pela Villa, Craig Clevenger. Um, There may be some other people who just want to tag on to our restraining order, which keeps him a thousand yards away, but does not keep him from Skyping with us. That's different than um, Sean Ferguson's style of restraining order, right? That keeps us from getting too far away from him. Yeah, exactly. Where he restrains us to something. (sighs) His restraining order makes a clinking noise against the ground. So yeah, we were we were so so close, um, and indecisive on who we wanted to win this uh, this this audition for book contest that we were going to do it in alphabetical order. And what happened? We had another Adam, um, <laughs> whose uh, whose audition you heard a couple weeks ago now, two weeks ago I think, Rob. Um, uh, no. eh, I don't remember. Yeah. So here's a here's a no. talking about lazy. Yeah, this guy sent us. Th- this could be the longest bio we've ever seen. This is this is the one. At one point, I think he mentions like a third grade teacher and and some other things in here. But uh, wait, is there anything embarrassing about me? No, nothing. You didn't read this? I did. Well, I was in the car. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to edit that out for legal reasons. <laughs> Adam Bell Corelli, also known as Adam at Oshkosh, whose legs don't work, has been Rob's best crippled friend for over twenty five years. Adam is a photographer, graduate student, and father of two who spends his time rolling around Oshkosh, Wisconsin, looking for trouble and good hot chocolate. So both of these gentlemen, um, if everything goes off as planned, will be uh, guest hosting a future episode of Booked, likely within the next month or so. Yeah, it turns out that we have a lot of stuff coming up that we need to cover, so um, it's not going to be as easy as (laughs) to tell you ahead of time what's coming up as we thought maybe it would be. No, and can I tell you why we can't tell you what's coming up next week? Can we talk about this for a minute? Because this is really pissing me off. <laughs> oh, wait. Is this where you complain? Yes, this is where I complain. 
Oh, I thought it was just going to be because you didn't know. Because that running joke is not old at all. It's not a joke. We literally don't know. Yeah, we no. Honestly, half the time we don't make a decision. It's it's usually on the phone after the podcast is done, where we force ourselves to do it. No, so, I mean the whole. Do you know what we're going to do? Because we don't. Ha ha. No, do we do that often? I don't even pay attention to the word. And we, all we I know is that nobody's episode, nobody's yeah. going to hear that because Rob's just going to edit it out. So. <laughs> So today we had decided, we mentioned on the show previously that we wanted to review the book S, uh, which was by J.J. Abrams and uh, Doug De- Destro, I don't know, someone else. I think um, it's Doug so, Dorst. Whatever. <laughs> the, uh, wow. the publisher had said they were going to send us a copy, but that there was an embargo on embargo. Remember yes. that? Yeah, there was an embargo. I remember embargo. On any um, early review copies. So today Rob and I decided, you know, we're just going to buy this. So long story short, we were near Barnes and Noble. I decided to go on their website. I go, oh, hey, this is like $9 cheaper on their website and it has a pickup in sorter option. So I go ahead, I, I make the purchase, you know, we kind of wrap up lunch or whatever. And I, I get the email saying that my order is ready on the website, $23.10. I get an email saying your order is ready to be picked up. It's 28 bucks. So, you know, this is a little weird. And I walk into a Barnes and Noble and I walk up to clerk and I go, hey, I've got an online uh, online reservation. I, I got to pick up and he pulls it up and I go, hey, I'm a little confused because I ordered this, you know, on the website and it said twenty three ten. And then I get an email that says twenty eight bucks. And the guy just looks at me unapologetically and goes, yep, that's uh, that's the online price. It's uh, it's twenty eight dollars if you want to buy it in the store. Now, <laughs> I work for a major retailer. I've been to other retailers. I've shopped on. on What's that? I said he's bragging. Well, my point is, is who doesn't match their own online price? It's not like I walked in and I was like, hey, this is on Amazon or, or, or this is your competitor. This I, I actually pulled the trigger on this thing. All it didn't let me pay for it online. Right next to a little sign that said 2310. And then when I went to the store, they wanted an extra five bucks. Not that the five bucks was a big deal. I think it was just the concept. I mean, we, we've talked before about how bookstores are kind of hurting. We all know what happened to Borders. Barnes and Noble's just just trying to piss off their customers. You know, I, I just don't understand how that works. I mean, like I said, I recently bought something at Best Buy. It was the same thing. I went online. I uh, I purchased it at that price, went in the store and, and, and picked it up, you know, for the online price, not for $8 more because I had to walk into a store to get it or whatever. So going forward, much like Starbucks, I will never, ever, ever <laughs> shop Barnes and Noble again. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Were you wearing the cut in half wet and dry vac tubes on your arms like sleeves? No. Okay. I didn't, I didn't have it with me. The man actually, into actually, the price. Yeah, I, I actually don't think I actually had gotten to the point in the book yet because I finished <laughs> that today. Or I might have. So, um, um, so yeah, at any rate, Barnes & Noble, for, for a company that has to know that it's not going really well for their <laughs> business model, could probably make some wiser choices. Now, not that I buy a lot of paper books and I don't have a Nook, so I don't shop their website anymore. But man, I oof. any rate, $21 on Amazon. It'll be here when it gets here. So that's what we're going <laughs> to review next week. <laughs> um, It'll be here when it gets there. Yes, Sean. I'm sorry. It's it's J.J. Abrams and who? <laughs> um, it's, hang on. One second. I have the book Doug, right Doug, behind me. Yeah, Doug Dorst, right? I think that's... I think it's Doug Dorst. Yeah, I got the book in my hand. J.J. Abrams, Doug Dorst. Okay. I like Doug Destro better. He just has like this head made of like shiny aluminum. <laughs> the guy from the G.I. Joe movie? Yeah. 
Why do um, you ask, Sean? Why do you ask? Oh, I I was just confused by something completely different. <laughs> I I may have sent Sean a, a picture of what the inside of the book looks like, and it said by J.J. Abrams and Fred Durst. <laughs> <laughs> I was oh, like, I, I, need, I need this book now because that can't possibly be good. Um, all I can say is I get the, the very distinct feeling that this might be kind of like James Patterson and add name here. Yeah. Where J.J. Abrams pointed at some shiny stuff and, and said uh, here. So, Rob, you've seen the inside of the book. Do you want to give people a little kind of like preview of, of what it's kind of like? Oh, man. All right. So. Uh, the reason first, I say that is it comes in a slipcase. So you can't actually look at it in a bookstore. Yeah, here's it slipping out of the case. <gasps> Theater of the mind, right there. That's the book yeah. coming out of the case. Now, um, the idea behind the, <laughs> the idea behind the book is that um, it's it's a it's a book that's it's a full on story, but um, in the in the margins, and sometimes um, so first of all, in the margins, there's kind of an ongoing conversation between two different people who at different times are reading the book and then and kind of just stuffed in at random places uh, are stuff like postcards there's like a postcard from you know like someone's vacation there's like business cards almost like handwritten notes on pieces of paper and they're not like bound into the book they're actually just sitting loose there's like a compass kind of thing in the very back Oh god! Um, so I'm gonna put money on this book sucking balls. There's a sheet from a like a tear tear out from a newspaper. Yeah, it's uh. It sounds super gimmicky. I'm gonna tell you, it looks really gimmicky, and the page count is four hundred. Oh my god! I no, I quit. That's that's the worst. Yeah. So, um, a lot going on there. I'm totally not turned off by the page count. I mean, sometimes it's a little tough because we do like a seven day turnaround on on reading a book typically. So no, no, but it's 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 not just the page count. It's with the gimmickiness and and J.J. Abrams' supposed involvement and just you know it's going to involve alternate universes. That that entire combination just smells like danger to me. Honestly, honestly, if it were J.J. Abrams and Fred Durst and all of those other elements combined, <laughs> I would probably read that. Just so. for, for the inevitability of reading the word chia spelled out and, and other poor rhyming skills. <laughs> Instead of a postcard, it's like a greasy um, cheeseburger wrapper, like page seven. <laughs> from somewhere like some like 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 rolling papers in there somewhere i don't know anyway i'm definitely looking forward to reading it um rob sent me a, a photo of one of the pages and it looks um interesting yes it's probably gimmicky but gimmicky doesn't mean bad so we'll see if there's uh, enough story to support um all the extra stuff and i look like the, those pages are in multicolor, right rob yeah i mean it yeah. looks i mean it looks as authentic as possible. The pages have kind of an antiqued look to them, so it looks like it's an older book, um, and it and it looks as if it's real handwriting on pages. So it's it's got a very authentic look to it, even though it's obvious that this is, you know, a creation. 
Is there an Evric version of it? Nope. No. Which no? is why I was standing in a brick and mortar store trying to buy it today. And that's that's why interesting. There was, they didn't send out. There wasn't like Livia said earlier. The embargo. There was. They didn't let anybody have. Uh, there was no such thing as an advanced reader copy. They sent out um, reader copies on the day that it went on sale. Which apparently mm. means they didn't send us one because it went on sale last week, I think. They told us we were going to get one. I know, right? Fred oh, Durst. We might have Damn to put an embargo on them. Damn him. All right, Fred so... Um, are we we have said Fred Durst way too many times in one podcast. Well, we don't have any room for a song of his, so it's not going to happen. You should just throw one in the middle. <laughs> can, can I tell you where it's at on the Amazon uh, bestsellers rank? Go for it. 16,017. Yikes. Not doing that great. Well, here's the thing. It's uh, And then we stopped talking about this. It's $36 retail. Who? 36 bucks. That's that's the retail price, which is why I was asking Jesus. Rob about the different colors and stuff. And it does come in a slipcase. And I said uh, hardcover. It's available on Amazon for $21. Thirty-five bucks, not thirty-six. Oh, sorry, thirty-five dollars. Um, you know, and, and you know, I'm not going to go into again what it costs you to get it on Barnes and Noble, but you get the idea. Well, you know what though? It's good that it's thirty-five dollars because then you can get that free shipping jam from Amazon. Boom. Fuckers. Is that what is it now? I thought it was fifty. I don't know anything about buying books and having them shipped. I'm just a podcaster. Yep. I'm pretty sure it's it went from twenty-five to thirty-five. I think. That could be. I, I actually signed up for the free month of Prime to order this book. <laughs> Was all right. it all... Like Optimus Sorry. Prime? Yes, thank you. I, I want to tell you something. Robots aren't pussies, and they don't have to think about what they don't want to think. So, there is that. <laughs> Robots aren't pussies. I'm going to get a shirt that says that. Hey, um, one one last thing on this. At the very bottom of the lengthy synopsis, it says S... Conceived by filmmaker J.J. Abrams and written by award-winning novelist Doug Dorst. So uh, at least they're they're owning up to J.J. not, maybe not writing it. I want to be able to do that. Just be like, this is my idea for book. Go write that. (laughs) Yep. Well, we thought that was easy, but um, then we made the book anthology and realized how much work is involved even in just telling someone to do it for you. Very, very true. Um, all right, so I want to talk about something really quickly that we talked about in a previous episode. When we actually when we reviewed Corrosion, um, I think I have an update. I have an idea of something that Livius was having trouble with. Remember your question about quotation marks? Yes. Speaking of being a publisher, I think I got to the heart of this. Bear, bear with me here. So, for anybody who didn't listen, the book Corrosion, which we reviewed, um, has no quotation marks in the book. So all the dialogue happens um, free of punctuation, which Olivia was asking, why would you do that? I think I figured it out. Uh, Bassoff runs New Pulp Press, which means he's a publisher, which means he is on the creation side of the books, which means he probably understands how much time he could save by not having, not having to change normal quotes to smart quotes and all that stuff in the editing process. So I think it was just a... Maybe a laziness thing. Not a laziness, but a time-saving thing. Oh, maybe Ferg could sign him on to, to work on his uh, stage production. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Zero quotation marks in Sean's uh, stage production. Yes. Of the least of my scars. 
Well, Rob, thank you for clearing that up for 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 us. That's uh, I appreciate that. Well, we haven't heard back from John Bassoff yet, so I could be wrong. WTF? That's but my question. Since he hasn't responded, I'm just going to go ahead and F-B-P. say that's the reason. What? Nope. Oh, follow book podcast. Thank you. Yep. Follow book podcast. <laughs> it's at We're on podcast now on Twitter. On Twitter. <laughs> you know how hard that made me laugh the first time I saw you guys say that. That cracked me the fuck up. <laughs> I was like, those clever bitches. <laughs> you can't keep us down, sir. We love you, Sean. We <laughs> miss you. We don't do this often enough. <clears throat> Speaking of, I think it's uh, time to call it a night. It is. Special yes, thanks. We miss you. We don't do this enough. <laughs> Bye. We're going to go. <laughs> Special thanks to Sean P. Ferguson for I'm joining like us again. It's been a good episode. It has been. <laughs> I'm not sure so much it was for me, but that's fine. Hey, remember, it didn't take an audition tape for you to be on. Just keep keep remembering that. Yeah, well. John's audition tape was his loving cuddles in Chicago. Pretty much. Well, this is wrapping up well. (laughs) Someone get us out of here. I'm protesting. All right, so once again, we have several different options of what we may be bringing for the next episode it's probably not going to be s by jj abrams because of the uh snafu with barnes and noble so if you're upset that you're not going to hear about that book soon enough uh feel free to um dial 1-800 the book is that their actual one in remember yep call barnes and noble and complain but we will be bringing you stuff we do have the um the reading that we're going to uh, in a week and then a half or so from now, right? Is it that soon? Yeah, that's coming up quick. Uh, the Noir at the Bar in Indianapolis, which has an all-star cast of crime writers such as Jedediah Ayers, Scott Phillips, Dan O'Shea, Les Edgerton's going to be there, C.J. Edwards is going to be there, David James Keaton's going to be there, and then there's, um, I think there's two local authors who I'm not very familiar with who are also going to be there as well, so it's going to be a huge cast of people in Indianapolis for the Noir at the Bar event down there. Very much looking forward to that. So I'm going to get my copy of Rake signed. Oh, that's a good idea. I have to pull that out. I know, right? Sean Ferguson, will you be joining us in Indiana? Nope. All right. Sean, anything you want to plug or talk about before we head out? No, feeling pretty lazy on the plugging tip. All right. Lazy plug. (laughs) Until next time, I'm Livia Snedden. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Sean Ferguson. Keep reading. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs>